Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Olm. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Travis Hedge of Vouch. Welcome, Travis. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, maybe you can start off just by telling everyone, retrace your career a little bit and tell everyone how you had the idea to start Vouch and, and maybe what Vouch is. Yeah. So Vouch is the insurance company for venture-backed technology companies. We do all the business insurance that a venture-backed technology company needs. Uh, from ENO, DNO, Cyber, GL. Uh, the difference with us is we're not the broker, we're the underwriter. We work directly with us and we bundle coverage together and pass along those savings and a much better experience back to founders that we work with so that they can focus on building their business. I want to get in the underwriter aspect of that and we'll also go through the different types of insurance, but maybe like how'd you have the, like what was the epiphany yeah. for starting? You know, I wish I could say it was like this one aha moment. I was sitting under the tree and the apple like fell on me. It was it was really a journey. And it, it does actually come back to where I grew up. My parents are independent insurance agents in Columbus, Ohio. Our dinner table was kind of like the boardroom growing up. Like I wore a sweater vest to career day in third grade saying I wanted to be a broker like my dad. And fast forward, here we are. Now, there was a bit of a detour in there. The biggest thing I actually took away at the time from our, my parents' small business was the value of entrepreneurship. They like impounded in me every day how lucky I was to have these opportunities in life because neither of them graduated from college. My dad grew up with dirt floors. Like I was really passionate about this. So in college, I tried to start a bipartisan political platform to support entrepreneurship on both sides of the aisle, like gamify the experience and all this stuff. Well, you can imagine how that worked out. Didn't get, didn't really get anywhere. But that was before the even the current climate. You know? Oh yeah, probably years ago. Yeah. Oh, that could be, we could have a whole nother podcast on that experience. You know, I learned, I knew I needed to go get a lot better in a lot of ways to be a good founder next time I did it. And so yeah. went and did finance, did operations, ended up at Nationwide Insurance where I helped build out their venture arm and then had the opportunity to work for SVB Capital, Venture Missing Mother Bank. And that was where a few things happened. First, my parents' business went under, they faced a cyber attack. And so it got oh. me thinking a lot about the tools, services, you know, meanwhile, I'm sitting here, we're invested in a company called FireEye. And I'm like, okay, enterprise yeah. security. CEO of FireEye on some of his other companies. This is great. Or the, the founder, excuse me, not the CEO. Yeah. He's a great guy. And like yeah. awesome business. And I'm sitting here going, okay, well, like they're not really the solution for like, what, what does someone like my dad do? They've got one guy doing laptop, an IT guy doing laptops. Like how do they, yeah. 
what tools do they have to protect against the same global threats as a Fortune 500 business? So that started getting some gears turning. At the same time, had the opportunity to help a business called Root Insurance get off the ground. So, you know, they you download the app, you drive for three weeks, and it uses mobile telematics to price your insurance. And what was really unique about them and a company called Lemonade at the time were they were the first ones really going full stack, taking on the risk and really owning the full value chain. And what that enabled them to do is redesign everything end to end, right? They weren't just taking off one slice of the value chain. It was the whole thing and enabled them to move a lot faster and deliver a radically better experience. So around that time, started like, why doesn't this exist in commercial insurance? Well, there's a lot of reasons. When I was at Nationwide, every big carrier is dumping millions into that strategy, but the brokers play a really important role and they're kind of disintermediated. So we spent a couple of years, I actually pitched SVB a few years ago and, hey, why don't we should go build this? Let's make it happen. And they talked me into sticking around for a little bit, trying to find somebody to you know, partner with maybe or invest in, but nobody really had wanted to take on the full stack in the same way that we felt we really needed to design it, redesign the whole thing from scratch. So I was really fortunate to meet my co-founder, Sam, a couple of years ago. He was in the process of taking uh, Funding Circle public and was ready to build his next thing. So we you know, did the, did the founder dating thing for a little bit and... Next thing you know, it's like two years later and we've got a team of 50 people and this thing's, you know, uh, really off to the races. It's been, been a heck of a journey. I love it. There's so much in there to unpack, like the full stack experience. I think you can really see that in your guys' experience. But going back, I just I had a I grew up in an entrepreneurial family too. My mom owned a small business in the East Bay in Danville, San Ramon. And I always think about how lucky I was just to have be like sitting at the dinner table. And listening to all the stories and and not just the good stuff, like the bad stuff, like stresses with, you know, people that she was working with or service providers or the customers, you know, and like, I feel like a, a lifetime of education before I even graduated, you know, before I even got to college, just sitting there. I mean, do you have those same experiences? Do you guys talk? Oh, talk yeah. Business? All the, I mean, all the time. And actually, it was funny. As you were talking, the first memory that came to my mind was them talking about people, talking about the team. Yeah. And it was the first thing you said too. And it's yeah. interesting, like our first core value is put people first. Like I think, and, yep. and our philosophy when it comes to risk in businesses is that people are at the heart of everything. So yep. I've never thought of that before, but that's actually really interesting. Yeah, I'm the people, that's a, it's a great that you picked up on that. Cause I just remember like, and I think we've even experienced this, like there's times where you have people who you think are gonna be able to do the job you know, but, and for on paper, they should be able to do the job and be awesome at it, but can't quite, doesn't quite happen for whatever reason. And I think that's one of the hardest things when, as an entrepreneur is just getting, becoming okay with that and understanding and seeing the patterns. And I still remember like sitting there, my mom had many delivery people. She was a retailer. So she had a lot of delivery people. And then she finally found like her amazing delivery and warehouse team. And like, I, I remember it was like a life, life change for her, you know? And like, I think every, but like just having that, just knowing that, cause like a lot of times when you're pitching a business to get funded from a VC or we're working with entrepreneurs to help their pitch, that stuff gets glossed over. Like it's all about the market size and how we're going to attack this. And we go indirect and through the internet and things like that. But like the people side and the customer side are oftentimes like the most stressful. And it's good to learn how to d- deal with that. Absolutely. It, it's, gosh, it's really funny you say that. One of the most powerful experiences for me at the beginning of all this was, you know, we started off as Sam, me, made our first couple hires, amazing people, but I was the insurance 
person for a, the first few months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'm sitting there with Evan whiteboarding out like our coverage options and all this stuff. And then and then we found John, who's our chief insurance officer. He's been doing this for 30 years. And, you know, finding someone who's creative and innovative like he is in the insurance world was was hard. But he's yeah. but then he came in as like, oh, that's what world class looks like. Same thing with Kelly, our GC and Roger, our chief product officer. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty mediocre at all the things I do. Though I just need to go find great people at what they do. Yeah. We've, we've had the same epiphany. It's, it's amazing. Let's talk about the underwriting aspect of Vouch because I think that's probably where, th- like you made a really clear distinction, which I love because we, in the past, we've worked with a lot of brokers, but my interpretation of the kind of the quote unquote underwriting is that you guys are actually a, a, a basically underwriting the risk. Like you're, under, you're investigating, understanding the risk. Then sounds like you're taking part of that risk too down the line. We are. Biggest thing is we have skin in the game. Right. So not only yeah. do we underwrite differently, but we're also invested in making sure that claims don't happen in the first place. So, yeah, quick plug for Scott. Like, it's important you have the right CFO, the right financial help around the table. And we could talk about some of those mistakes. It's important you have an employment attorney to consult, right? When you're building out your, your employee handbook and all those sorts of like, those things all feel to a lot of founders like it's too early for me. But it's actually like, I, in my experience, never too early for that stuff. So I know that wasn't your question. Your question is on underwriting. Uh, oh, no, but I think the owning the like owning the ramifications of how that company behaves and whether they're doing prevention or not is a great point because like it's you're so right like getting people to think about prevention and and connecting that to like you can save money on your insurance is actually like exactly where it's it's a win win for both Vouch and the client the customer so I actually think that's a really smart way of looking at it. No, thank, we're, we're really excited about it. I'll be honest, we're just getting started in that part of our journey. We have our startup risk assessment on our site for like really early stage companies to make sure they've got the basic kind of hygiene in place. But we'll be announcing some partnerships later this year that I'm really excited about uh, helping companies with, you know, anti-harassment training and all sorts of things that you can do. And then, you know, frankly, incorporating that into our underwriting and really rewarding people for building businesses the right way. Like it's, I think we've all yeah. seen this move fast and break things isn't really going to be the the, yeah. the the mantra for the next 10 years. It's tough. it's tough. It's tough to recover sometimes. Well, that's super interesting. So you, and then your co-founder, we kind of gloss over this, but Funding Circle was a really successful fintech company. So it sounds like there's probably some lessons you guys have or you, that you've been able to glean from his experience as well. Oh gosh, absolutely. Learning from and working with Sam has been just such a pleasure. I think the, you know, we met through friends that had invested in his previous company. They had a lot of confidence in, you know, how he, how he ran things. And, you know, yeah. for me to work with someone who I respect both personally and professionally, and he's helped me avoid so many of the pitfalls that I know I would have made without him. It was funny. I was walking with my wife the other night. And I was like, gosh, if I ever do this again, it's going to be like, I'll know to avoid so many things. I was like, well, I kind of had Sam to help me with that along the way. So yeah. I, I'm really thankful. Yeah, that's awesome. And then the other thing you talked about in your background was just working for SVB Capital. And for people who don't know, Silicon Valley, that's Silicon Valley Bank Capital. And actually, everyone thinks of like the bank with Silicon Valley Bank first, but they actually have like an a venture capital arm. And maybe you can talk about that a little bit and what your experience was like at, at SVB. Yeah, so it was interesting. When I was at Nationwide, we invested in SVB Capital as an LP, right? And so that's how oh, I got to know the team. And yeah. insurance companies are the life, like we had at Lighthouse, we had a lot of insurance companies invest in us too. It's, it's, it's a great way for insurance companies to get kind of long-term and high return, like be able to take advantage of that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. When I was there, our LP base was, went from like 
1% to about 30% of it ended up being insurance companies. Um, wow. Now, a big part of that, so what happened for me was I joined the team. And of course, my first six months, I moved from Columbus, Ohio to San Francisco. And I get all excited about drones and AR, VR and all the shiny objects, uh, which I still think is awesome. And we, you know, I love we work with those companies. But about six months into it, I go, you know, that insurance thing is still really broken. <laughs> I should call. So I called the smartest person I knew, uh, this guy, Alex Tim. He was the youngest actuary, like in the history of American Actuarial Society or something like that. And nationwide, he was like the boy genius that they just, you know, kept giving every every opportunity yeah. to. So I called Alex and he goes, actually, I just left Nationwide last week. Drive Capital just gave me a few million bucks. Um, and that is what became Root Insurance. So mm. we started doing these quarterly insure tech dinners and bringing together the carriers and the, the investors. And just from there, ended up going really deep on regulated industries. So digital health, insure tech, fintech was where I, I ended up spending a lot of my time. And at SB Capital, we really specialized in, in Series B kind of stage companies was our sweet spot. And really working deeply with you know the other uh, venture funds that we were LPs in and working with. So it was a it was an amazing platform, great people, and I'm really you know grateful for that experience. Yeah, it's it, they've and they've grown so much. Like I remember when I was at Lighthouse in like '02. SVB was still was still big in our world, but they were like a like a small bank, kind of like globally or nationally. And now it's like it's got a huge asset base. It's a real success story. Like people, I think I think you guys are a good example of this, and maybe we're a good example of this in SVB. People tend to think of like startups in like the drones or the SaaS or whatever the shiny objects are that you talked about before. But honestly, a lot of the biggest companies and biggest startups are built in these like quote unquote boring old industries where it's just like, if you stay with it and you keep executing year after year after year, you build something big. And SVB is a really good example of that. Like it's, it's impressive what they build. A lot of people lose sight of that, that they look at SVB as the big established bank now, but it was started over a card game by people that were frustrated because yeah. the big banks weren't serving them well. Right. That was like so, 35 years ago. So yeah. Yeah. Cruise, we've been at it for eight, like Vanessa started eight years ago. And like, sometimes people will, and I'm sure this happens to you at Vouch, like, oh, you guys are like, you know, oh, you're, you're hot, you're big now, da, 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 da. And they don't realize how many years it took to get to this point. And it's, it's like the overnight, the rock band that's an overnight success after 10 years kind of thing. You know, it's, it's a good, but that's also what makes it fun and makes it worth the, It's all about the journey. And you just, I don't know. I find I learned so much about myself on the journey. It's, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, if things didn't go wrong along the way and you didn't have the ups and downs of it, it's just, I don't know, it makes it so much more rewarding. And uh, to your point, this is yeah. years in the making. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, before we talk about the kinds of insurance, can you just talk about the insurance value chain and, and start from that underwriting and maybe talk also, you guys have a really slick like online interface that, that people go. So like I was telling you before I turned the mics on just today, one of our clients needs insurance. So like in our Slack, I was like, hey, email Travis to one of our account managers. But like what's what's gonna happen is our client will actually go through the online interface. And it's, it's really nice and easy to use. Maybe you can talk about that, but also talk about kind of how the how underwriting and, and how you work with the carriers so that people can get an understanding of, of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest thing that people have a hard time wrapping their minds around with us is that the whole thing end to end take seven minutes on average. This isn't like, oh, get a quote in a couple minutes and then you know we'll figure it out over the next few weeks. It's no, you're truly, hello sign, you're done and it's active at midnight that night. Wow. 
Wow, that's amazing. That's different than though than other sites that I've used because there is like a delay on other places. So I think that's a testament to you guys are kind of vertically integrated. Yeah, and so here's and and here's I'll tell you how the value chain works today, and then you know how we've changed yeah. it to make that work. So yeah. it starts with why do why do startups buy insurance in the first place? It's typically because their landlord or their investor or their customer requires it of them. We do find repeat entrepreneurs are a lot more likely to get insurance at company formation because they've seen what can go wrong and that they're going to need it. Uh, but yeah. typically it's because it's required. And at that point, they might ask yeah. a friend for a recommendation or they're you know, going to Google it at some point. And so that's where you typically end up working with a broker, whether that be a digital broker or a legacy broker. Ultimately, it's a very similar experience where they're going to collect some information and they're going to take that application and then shop it around to a few different carriers. And those carriers, so this are companies like Chubb and Hiscox and the Hartford, very highly fragmented space. They'll then kind of bid on your business. And that's why it takes a few weeks. Now, sometimes you can maybe like build some integrations, but even then, it still takes a while. And what you ultimately end up with is typically two or three different carriers in the back end of your insurance coverage. It's really hard to do things like monthly billing as a result. I remember when we got our first coverage, we had to cut a physical check that they said they never got and like all this kind of craziness. That happens all the time and it's it's really hard to pay for stuff. And I actually, one of the things, I think you guys allow credit card payments, right? Am I oh, mistaken yeah. on oh, that? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, that's actually, everyone listening is gonna be chuckling, but that's actually like a big deal. Like very few insurance products, you can you actually pay with a credit card? Or if you do, you gotta call like some 1-800 number and it takes 20 minutes to do. So like even that innovation is really nice. You can probably tell I'm a, I'm a fan of what you're doing, but like, yeah, there's just, it's like, it's 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 good you guys came along and are changing the industry. Well, I appreciate cool. it. And actually, uh, you might not know this, if you're a early stage, so pre-series A uh, SVB client and you use your SVB credit card, uh, you get $500 back uh, on your next stage. Oh my God, now. 500? Yep. Well, if you're buying general liability, that might be like half the policy. Uh, it might be double your actual policy. Not it's it's up yeah. to five hundred, right, for the premium. Yeah, yeah. But our our entry level GL starts at two hundred dollars a year. The cheapest in the market is three fifty. Wow. Yeah, well, wow. and this goes back to the underwriting, right? We stripped out the stuff that startups don't need. Like you look at the the, the general liability business owner policies that startups are buying, and it'll include stuff like fine art coverage, and do you have a like do you have a pool on your site? It's like well. No. Really? Yeah. Not all of them, but some of them. And so we strip out that kind of stuff. We then reshape the pricing curves, right? So a lot of startups, imagine you're, a, you're an e-commerce company, right? And you're selling you know, some form of physical good. Well, the pricing curves on that product liability are really steep out of the gate. So you benefit from economies of scale as you grow, but you get hammered yeah. as, as a new company. And so we fundamentally reshape those curves because we're so narrowly focused on this space that we can do things like that. So that's where um, you know controlling the underwriting really makes a big difference. Yeah, that's huge. So then you guys, and just so I understand the value chain, you guys underwrite it and then do you have like dedicated carriers? Or are you guys the carrier yourself? Like, are you just popping this policy that you just wrote into like a SPV or a, some type of account and just handling it? How's that work? So you can think of us, for all intents and purposes for the customer, we look, feel, act like the carrier. What we've done, the regulatory kind of nuance behind this is we're what's called a managing general underwriter. So we design the policies, we design the claims process, we, our Tasha, our head of claims is amazing. And then we work with Munich Re, the world's largest reinsurer, reinsurer 
that reinsures 100% of the risk so that, you know, your customer, your Fortune 500 customer doesn't look at it and say, well, who the heck is Vouch? I'm not taking a risk on some startup. No, you're taking a risk on the biggest reinsurance company in the world. And then we take our risk on the back end of them. So we have that skin in the game that, look, if you if you have claims, it's coming out of our pocket too. So we really care about helping you helping you prevent those from happening in the first place. Is it fair to say like Munich RE and then you guys have a deductible with Munich RE basically, like maybe the first couple hundred dollars or first couple thousand dollars or whatever the number is of claim or risk comes out of your pocket. So that creates that incentive where you have a you have an incentive to underwrite good stuff. So a lot of people might do it that way. We actually wanted to get more aggressive and say we want to take more risk ourselves. So you can almost think of it as is we're we're you know taking a pretty high percentage of every dollar of claims. You know, we end up being it's really wonky how it all works out, but that's that's how you should think about it. Okay. And then and but then the that means your reinsurance costs are less so that you can be profit vouch can be profitable and all that kind of stuff kind of thing. Yep. Yep. And that frankly, we just feel like our interests our interests are more aligned with our with our customers. Yeah, that makes total sense. Total sense. Awesome. For some people, they probably they might want to hear like the cool, sexy vouch story. But for a lot of people listening to this, actually just going through the insurance products is really helpful. And I know I've had a million conversations with our clients about this stuff. So it's one of the reasons I want to record this was just like, boom, we can start the, like, you are talking to a bunch of founders right now. So let's start with the, the granddaddy of them all, general liability. And you, and you said it perfectly. It's oftentimes someone else is requesting a policy from the startup. And I, what I found and what I learned when we started signing leases was like crews and our, and our clients need general liability insurance when they're going to sign like a rental lease for like office space. Yeah. So how maybe describe general liability a little bit and and what people should be thinking about as they sign that, that policy. Yeah, absolutely. So general liability is typically that first thing that's required, you know, as you're building your business, it's going to cover things like slip and fall around the office or you you have a client in and, and something, you know, your, your coffee robot accidentally burns them or something. And then it also covers things like, product liability. So you have a physical good that's going to be covered as part of general liability or even things like advertising injury. This is a product that was developed really for main street businesses that we've adapted to work really well for technology companies, but it's, it's the basic building blocks, your coverage. And it's going to cost anywhere from like $200 per year to maybe a thousand, 1500 bucks for like an early stage company, depending on what they're doing. So it's really kind of that basic starting block. And what you also find is required by a lot of customers. And by a lot of, like, for instance, if you take on debt, it's typically going to be required as part of that process as well. What about, like, especially like us, we're completely remote and we're remote before COVID. But a lot of companies are going remote now. And so sometimes, like, like we gave up our office space at, at uh, WeWork. Mm-hmm. Give up your office space. Do you still need, this is such a basic question, but it's an honest question I have. Do you still need general liability if you don't have an office? Yeah, you do need general liability. And it's so, frankly, it's an affordable coverage. So some of the, so like advertising injury, I think is a really important thing where we've seen companies get sued by Fortune 500 competitors because of one little line they had on their website saying they were like the best product in the market. And it's ridiculous, but it ends up being a six-figure lawsuit that gets tossed out that you don't want to have to deal with, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's where insurance comes in. Now, the other thing that people don't think about often with a general liability policy so Scott, let's say you take a take an Uber or Lyft and or maybe you're driving to a meeting, which, well, who knows next time that's going to happen. But the yeah. if you were to get in an accident because you're driving for work, technically the business can be held liable. So there's something called oh, wow. hired and non-owned auto coverage that's part of your kind of general liability policy. It's a little option you can turn on that yeah. it's like a hundred bucks, but it's kind of like that 
base protection. So you don't need to get like the insurance with the rental car at the airport and get, you know, scammed for it. Yeah. That's super smart. I actually, in the very far reaches of my brain, I do remember that being in our GL. That's really interesting. Okay. So, so your basic advice is it's very affordable piece of insurance. Startups should do it. Even if they're remote, they should still be getting general liability. Absolutely. And typically that's going to be paired with your property coverage. And that's one of the areas where we've helped make it more affordable is we know that 99.9% of startups don't own their space. They don't need like fully robust property coverage. They need what's called business personal property coverage. That's where it's your laptops, your desks, your monitors, you know, Sam and his last business had a break in that, you know, they were, they had insurance, they were able to cover the claim, but those are, it's little things like that. Now what's key there to your point, making sure that that policy works for your remote employees. It's not just on the premises. It's that you have off premises coverage. Uh, we've had customers that have moved all their property into a storage unit. So we've had to work with them on making sure that that that's covered appropriately. And then the other thing to keep in mind is the claims matter a lot. We've had one customer, a friend of mine who had a, had a laptop stolen, took six months to get the, the claim back from the carrier. We're committed. I mean, we, we're, we have a, you know, 72 hour fast track kind of property claim process and stuff like that. That's great. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's insane. That's crazy. So that's where the property come in. Cause that was actually gonna be one of my other questions for you, but now, and I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that like, I've kind of forgotten some of this stuff, but I, we did have a break in like three years ago and we did have a property component of our GL. That's why I was thinking it was part of GL. But we did. I remember the, the, the broker saying, Oh no, you're covered on this because and we had a bunch of computers stolen. San, life in San Francisco, right? It just happens sometimes. <laughs> yep. Uh, but okay, so those, so those two go in conjunction together, basically, is the way I think about that. Yep, yep. Okay, DNO, Directors and Officers Liability Insurance. So this is, you raise your first you know, institutional round, investor joins the board. They're requiring you to get it to protect their interest as, as a director, right? So let's say that there's a lawsuit against the company. The directors are going to get named personally. So this is protecting their personal interests. Uh, which is, by the way, also protecting you as a founder. <laughs> and so yeah. that's actually, I'll be honest, most companies don't need it until they have that outside board member joined. But if you're operating in a regulated category or a highly litigious category, so fintech, digital health, uh, or you know maybe even gig economy, right? There's a lot of litigation there right now. We really encourage founders to think about getting this coverage in place early to protect their own interests as well. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people don't know, but like, Venture capitalists who invest in a company are fiduciaries of the company. Like that's how they get named. And same with the founder. Like a founder is on the board or the chairman of the board. They are a fiduciary of that company and that's how they get sued, right? Like that's the mechanism. Yeah. So I it is it is a good thing. I, I usually recommend like after they raise like a bigger, like a they're more of a target, like a, a good size series A or something like that. That's kind of the, the time to do it. Yeah, um, typically that's right. What What's your recommendation? Yeah, my recommendation would be to think about it earlier if you're in a highly regulated category. Because that, yeah, that's just a good more like, like, for instance, you know, Lambda School didn't register in California, so they ended up getting slapped with a fine. There can be regulatory actions like that. There can be, yeah. and these are all public, you know, things that have been in the media. Yeah. But a lot of the startup private market stuff doesn't get publicized. What you see in the, yeah. in the, in the media is like Zoom, for instance, had a shareholder lawsuit. Because of because the share value declined after some of the security news that came out a few months ago. Yeah, and so one one just quick thing on what we're seeing in the DNO market today: legacy carriers are hiking rates thirty to fifty percent because of the economic crisis and the claims they're paying across the country right now. Really? Yeah, in public markets, it's going up over a hundred percent. This was an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day, uh, and private markets are feeling that as well. We haven't hiked rates, so obviously come check out Bouch, but. 
So that's really interesting. The other thing we're seeing is to deal with the, the rate increases, carriers are putting huge exclusions in. So we're seeing major shareholder exclusions so that if... Oh, God, if that doesn't work. No, it doesn't work at all. You're seeing lender exclusions. Because of the stock price going down, you definitely need to be able to cover... If, if, if a major shareholder initiates that, you need to be able to cover that. I saw a, I saw a policy the other day for $3 million in coverage with a million dollar deductible. Like, what does that even yeah. do for you? Yeah, 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 I believe that too. Wow, yeah, it's a crazy time. Okay, so let's go to errors and emissions, which I typically recommend when companies start signing enterprise deals, like yep. big, like Fortune 500 is their clients and things like that, because that's that you'll typically see that in a contract, though the, the big company is smart and they wanna be protected. They wanna have someone having, kind of holding the bag if like there's a lot of downtime or there's a big error or whatever it is, is that is that consistent with how you recommend it or how you think about it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's typically smart to have that paired with your cyber coverage because when your product mm -hmm. is software, I mean, the thing that's going to happen is there might be a bug in the code or whatever, right? You have, you have some yeah. downtime. Yeah. So you want to have those yeah. things coupled together. It always, what we see things, things go wrong is if you have a different cyber carrier and a different E&O carrier and they start pointing fingers at each other, it gets ugly. To your point, you're offering your, cus your customers the right advice because the big thing that, that we see is, let's say you're, you're selling into Fortune 500 companies. You sign yeah. your first big, it's like a, call it a 100K pilot. Well, that Fortune 500 has insurance requirements crafted for much bigger, more traditional companies. So I've seen it where it's for a 100K pilot, you've got to go buy $60,000 in insurance. The best way to negotiate is to get the coverage that's right for your business up front and then that way, that that risk manager in the middle of that organization says, you know what? Yeah, these these people really take it seriously. They're prepared. I'm okay with a million in coverage instead of five because you've been proactive. Because you thought about it ahead of time. It, you're speaking my That is like something I preach on the accounting side, like you wouldn't believe. Because like when you've actually thought about this stuff and done things the right way, auditors, like IRS auditors or state auditors, think about the exact same way as like the risk manager would at a big company. And it's like, that's really, that's really good to hear. And yeah, and we, and we do encourage our companies to get that when they start signing up big enterprises. So that, that makes me feel good that we're providing the right kind of advice. So si and then you kind of, you talked about pairing that with cyber. What are the, th like in the thing I'm, I'm still like slightly scared or nervous about that. I don't always understand cyber because I, I always worry that like, if there is attack, then maybe the policy won't come through or how, like how should a cyber policy be structured and how do people protect themselves from getting exempted in the fine print or something like that? Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. We have some real cyber experts on our team. So like we should, we could probably have a whole conversation around that. I think the, yeah. the big thing to keep in mind is you have first party liability and you have third party liability. So when you have a breach and it impacts, you know, the impact it has on you as a company, that's your first party liability. And that, that can yeah. often be more expensive than people think about. That's the forensics and the yeah. repairs, all that. On the third yeah. party side, you've then got to think about, okay, well, I need to go notify all my customers. So the amount of records you have in your, not just the amount of records, I actually think a lot of companies use that for underwriting and I don't, I don't think it's a great proxy, but the amount of PII and the sensitivity of that PII that you're carrying really matters a lot which systems it's going to sit in, right? Are you using AWS, Stripe? What are your third-party cloud dependencies versus what are you hosting on a proprietary basis? That stuff yep. all really should factor into how you think about your cyber coverage. Now, here's one common misconception is that fund transfer fraud, things like wire fraud, a lot of people think they get cyber and that they're covered. Well, you really need to have a crime coverage as well. And this is something that's yep. very rarely required. We see it in some customer contracts, 
But crime coverage basically protects your cash assets in the bank. So the, the primary use case that most people think about is called employee dishonesty, otherwise known as embezzlement, mm-hmm. where we've seen some some interesting stories there of you know employees using and before we turn the mics on that we catch that like one out of every 50 companies. It's usually someone paying their own credit card. Like someone who has control of the bank account pays their personal credit card. Yep. And it's usually like a $10,000 a month kind of thing, but there's much bigger stuff like that. So that's that resonates with me very, yeah, I totally get that. But I think where you're going, I'll let you continue because you have a much bigger fish there on the on the crime side. Yeah, well, and we've seen, gosh, we've seen, there are two examples that, that come to mind. One was a company, um, an employee was using company funds to pay for their options, right? And like, I could see how they rationalized that to themselves, but- Oh my God, illegal. that's that's securities fraud too, maybe, right? It, yeah, like, oh, so- there's a whole host of stuff there, which is ultimately covered for the company. The other one we've seen is where they didn't turn on two-factor authentication. And so- this is, and this is the difference between cyber and wire fraud, right? Someone got yeah, access to their yeah. account. It might not have been through, you know, hacking into their systems. It could have been through other means. And they ended up stealing, you know, $400,000 from a company that had just raised $5 million. That's pretty oh material. That's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the crime aspect would cover that, not cyber, right? Yeah. Always depends on the details, which policy is going to cover it. But yeah. that's where... These are just the things that people don't think about, and it really helps to you know work with with an expert. Last thing I'll add, this is really these coverages are really important for startups in particular. If you think about it, we always tell companies get covered before you announce your round. That is when the cockroaches come out of the woodwork, right? Oh wow! So that yeah, so I mean, we saw it. Like we announced our Series A, and all of a sudden, I get an email like, "Hey, this is Sam. Can you wire me some money?" Like, no, it's not. That happens all the time, and so yeah. yeah. Always get covered before you announce your round. That's a really good point. So there's one more that I want to cover, which is EPLI, which is Employment Practices Liability. Yep. And that's if you are sued for wrongful termination or discriminatory hiring or something like that. Is that is that the ballpark of that one? And, and how does that work to protect the company? So interestingly enough, you're six times more likely to have an employment practices claim than you are to have a cyber claim. But if you believe it. if you look at the awareness of people, cyber is you know much yeah. much higher on, on people's awareness kind of radar. Yeah, employment practice liability. It, it, to your point, it, it really covers those examples where there's a claim of wrongful termination, et cetera. Now, it, no matter how well you run your process, you have a great culture, you have a great HR team, et cetera. Eventually, you're going to have some of these issues over the course yep. of you know a, a company. For instance, in a, in a given venture portfolio. The claims data would say that about 40% of the venture funds portfolio is going to have an EPLI claim in the course of that. Wow. Yeah. That's, you know, that's cool that you can think about it in terms of like a, a venture capital portfolio too. That's, that's actually really smart. Yeah. So this is, these are what we call high frequency, low severity claims where the average claim mm-hmm. is somewhere around $100,000. And so this is something where, for instance, a lot of PEOs will offer. So the, you know, the, the Trinets, et cetera, of the world, right? They'll yeah. have a lot of EPLI covers really baked into their platform. But oftentimes we'll work with companies to add an additional layer on top of that with a lower deductible so that because these are, you know, typically high frequency claims so that they've got kind of the right risk mix for their business. Yeah, that makes total sense. I recently just started thinking about that because our HR person was talking to me like we were going, we were doing an insurance checkup and she brought that up and I was like, oh gosh, that seems like a really good thing to do. So yeah, that's that's really helpful. So we've gone through... If we count crime, that's actually seven aspects of insurance that a startup should be thinking about. And this is 
this has been super helpful. I, I mean, I'm sure people who are listening to this are appreciative, but I'm just appreciative of someone who runs a startup and someone who advises a startup. This has been really, really helpful for me. So thanks. Yeah. And, and, and I've been kept, I've kept you kind of too long here. So I want to be respectful of your time, but for the next step, like anyone who's listening to this, how do they get in touch with vouch? How do they get in touch with you and how do they get the ball rolling on their insurance coverage? Yeah, so you just go to vouch.us. Actually, you can go to vouch.us slash cruise to get uh, 5% off as a cruise customer. And Very nice uh, But the... Well, a surprise, folks. He really... You should see my face right now. <laughs> the uh, But one just quick thing on that. The whole thing takes seven minutes end to end. And the key part of that is we, we ingest the information with over 70 different proprietary risk profiles. And then we recommend the right kind of coverage for your business at that moment in time. Now, from there, you can yeah. fully customize it. You can work with the team, jump on Zoom. But we do make those recommendations so you get the right coverage at the right time. And so, yeah, just head to vouch.us slash cruise. I love it. I've seen the demo. It's awesome. We're referring clients over. Big believer. And, I, you know, I got to say, like, I love that you have that family. Like, you grew up in an insurance practice. Like, you, you've just lived and breathed this pretty much your whole life. And I feel like you can kind of see those little touches in both just the demo and how the system works, but also like the messaging on your site and how you explain stuff. So I really want to appreciate it. I appreciate you, appreciate your time. And I'm very excited about Vouch going forward. It's going to be cool. Hey, the feeling is mutual, Scott. Really appreciate you having me on. Awesome. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Thanks, you too. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Scotty Olds.